Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in mountain culture. Today, we're going to learn more about an honored craft in these Smoky Mountains, fine metalwork and blacksmithing. But first, uh, I want to talk about some upcoming things. I, I'm, I'm, I think last week or the week before, I announced that we'd, created, that, uh, we'd launched the Metal Ark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center with Bob Plott, a former guest on this, po- uh, on this podcast as the general manager to really focus in on mountain heritage and create events and stories and, 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 uh, and workshops and things like that. So I'm bringing him on to start talking about some of the things that we're going to be doing. Hi, Bob. Hey, Joseph. How are you? I'm doing all right. I've been, uh, I, I, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the mountains today uh, for this week. And I've been, uh, at the metal arc and I, I actually decided to get out and do a little work on the, on the property. I'm feeling, I'm pretty feeling like, uh, I'm young at heart, but old in my bones, <laughs> <laughs> but I got, I got my gardening hat on. So, uh, maybe that'll bring some, some life to what I got to say. So, uh, so what's coming up? Well, I'm really excited. I, it's it's been a, this is my second official week here. We've been doing some preliminary work before that, but this is the second week here, and I've been super excited to work with the staff. Mike Ogletree here's with us tonight, and he's been a real asset. Kavanich, all the great people here at the motel. But um, our focus now is creating programs and and getting an actual formal center started. Mike and the guys have already done some good programming here, but we want to take it even a further step in mountain culture. So we've got about 15 things planned over the next few months. We'll be finalizing dates on all of them in the next few days, few weeks. Our first definite final date is a a bluegrass band camp with Darren Nicholson of Balsam Range fame, a mandolin player and vocalist with them. And he'll have three other heavy hitter musicians that'll be here doing seminars during the day and then culminating with a concert that night. So we're really, really excited about that. And that'll be July 17th. We'll have more details to come on that. Uh, We'll be doing a ballad singers camp that will tie Mike in with his Scottish roots into that. And William Ritter that we will get that date finalized soon. Well, William Ritter was a, both Mike and William have been a guest on this show, so that's pretty. Yes, cool. yes. And speaking of guests, you've got you've had Libby Kephart Hargrave on here recently, and like last week, uh, she's a direct descendant of Horace Kephart, who helped found the park. We're going to have a couple of events scheduled with her, one later this summer, and one in the fall with the Kephart campers. Hopefully, will be here with her, so we'll get that date finalized by tomorrow. Um, we've also Another guest, Janet McHugh, who's on next week, uh, she'll probably be involved in that uh, program as well. And then tonight's guest, David Bruin, longtime friend of mine, is going to uh, do some blacksmithing seminars and some things with us in the future as well. Well, that sounds like an exciting lineup coming up. Um, what do you think, the, you know, the, um, the, 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 
the philosophy of the events are going to be why what's going to what's going to excite people to come to the mountains to go to them i think you'll see genuine mountain culture and as you've worked hard in your business uh, give people a reason to come here make it a destination location and make memories that they'll remember for a lifetime meeting real mountain people appreciating our culture, our history. We've got all sorts of musical events planned. We've got some plot hound events planned and just absolutely thrilled to have a meeting with Earl Lanning today. And we're going to do a tribute to him. And he's so excited about it that he wants to donate a lot of items to the physical center when we get it built and maybe even a cabin, a 1700s cabin that, that we hope in time to, to assemble here. Well, that would be fantastic. That would be really great. Well, um, thanks for coming on. I will ha- I'll have you on in the future show to talk more about what we're doing there. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I think it's going to be a tremendous uh, uh, a learning experience and, and, uh, and uh, memorable experience for people to come and experience. Uh, so let me uh, introduce, uh, can you get David to come in, uh, and come in there? Yes, yeah. sir. Right All here. Right. Thanks again. <laughs> um, hey, right. David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So, uh, my guest today is David Bruin, a fine craftsman and blacksmith for over 45 years here in the Smokies. He's also an accomplished musician. So I, hello again, David. <laughs> yeah, hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell us a little about your childhood in eastern North Carolina. You were descended from a, a line of uh, boat builders. And they yeah, went, to and a, I, uh, went to school with the baby. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, uh, my grandfather was a boat builder in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, up on the coast. And I that's where I grew up and came from a family of craftspeople. But uh, I got sidetracked by going to college and career oh, and education and whatnot. So, uh, well, you, I heard somebody told me you went to school with a baseball hall of famer. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, catfish, Jim Catfish Hunter. Nobody, nobody ever called him Catfish in Hartford, which is where I'm from, little town of Hartford. But Jimmy Hunter was a Hall of Fame pitcher, and I was away in military school for most of high school. And when I came back, we were in homeroom, and Jimmy did strike me out in the seventh grade baseball <laughs> game. He could actually throw a curveball. <laughs> So that's that's my association with him. I can't say we were big time friends, but uh, he sat right in front of me in homeroom. That, you know that's that, that's you know that's really funny. I didn't know who the baseball player was, but I actually have a connection to Jan, uh, Catfish Hunter. When I was in college at Duke, um, yeah, I, I pledged a fraternity, and you know when you pledge a fraternity, the the older brothers give you some pledges that you got to you know. Uh, get done right some ta- pledge taxes uh and and before and then once you get them done they'll sign off so that you can become a member and they do you know wild stuff you know like i had to go and get the turnstile from the cafeteria at the school and put it in front of the president of the school's office and things like that <laughs> but uh one of the one of the tasks was to send a letter to catfish hunter uh asking him to send me an autographed picture of himself, uh, 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 you know, dedicated to the to the brother 
who was who had asked me to do this task and and you know i did it and i sent out there and lo and behold i got uh, uh, catfish sent it back to me and sent, sent it back to me and signed it and dedicated it to my brother so that, that i do have a, a connection there Sorry. <laughs> um so you were you seemed you were destined you said you were you seemed destined to be working for my for, with for your hands but you didn't start your career that way you became a teacher and counselor to start after graduating from ECU. So, yeah, uh, when, what 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 made what what put you on that path to begin with? Well, I, I was a Spanish major in college, and so I started teaching Spanish in a high school. And I'd always been interested in like working with people, so I went to East Carolina for grad school and got a degree in counseling there, and worked as an elementary school counselor, and then a testing coordinator for Pasquotank County. And, and while I was there, I happened to hear about a blacksmithing class. I just saw headlines that blacksmithing class offered at Campbell. I thought they were talking about Campbell College in uh, near Raleigh. And I went back and read about it and found out it was in the mountains. So I signed up to take the class and uh, came out here and I'd always wanted to be a blacksmith, but just people dissuaded me from that. So, you know, you can't be a blacksmith, you need to go to college. And I did, and after after I did it, I said, nope, nope, I gotta do this. And so I was totally obsessed, which is the way I've always been so about, did you have, about anything I do. So did you have some uh, good uh, good uh, teachers out there in, uh, in Eastern Carolina area that uh, taught you well, about? In the shipyard, there was a former blacksmith out there that gave me all of his tools when he found oh, really? out I wanted to uh, be a blacksmith. And so Willie Rogers was his name. And he grew up, he and his father took care of the fishing fleet down in Manio, making anchors and stuff like that. And, and uh, really interesting old guy. So that was, I used to take notes. That was my first folklore project I ever did. I would interview him every day at lunch and take notes. How do you do this, Captain Willie? How do you do that? And so that's how I got started. Really, you know, that little shop in Hertford. And then my first job was uh, hardware for the White Newbold House, which is a very old 18th century home in Hertford. They were restoring, and we got a job making all the hardware for it. So uh, that's how that's how I really. That was my first big job I had. Wow. And, uh, now you you started doing music too around the, the same time out in ECU. Did you study that? Yeah, actually, uh, I should be probably a lot better than I am. I uh, I got really interested in classical guitar, and uh, Elon was not too far from Winston Salem. North Carolina School of the Arts was in Winston Salem, so uh, I I've always tried to find the best person I could learn from, no matter what I did. And there was a guitar student over there that's very well known now. And I went to his apartment, said, you know, I would like for you to teach me. <laughs> and uh, so for some reason he agreed and I took lessons from him for a while. And then I started taking lessons with Jesus Silva, who was the head of the guitar department over there. And then I decided I'm really not all that good at this. so. I kind of let classical guitar go and stick with what I could do really well. Which was? Uh, blacksmithing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, you picked up some other instruments, that, didn't you? Well, I yeah. still I still play uh, from time to time. Mike and I were talking about 
music and uh, at the folk school when I was over at the Campbell Folk School. Uh, I played for a lot of the dances over there. I was a guitarist mm -hmm. and uh, learned from a lot of really good musicians over there. And uh, so I, most of the, most of my playing was there. And then I got into jazz uh, when I moved to Silva. I was a really good jazz guitarist I played with over here in Silva. And, uh, and then I hurt my finger really bad. So I've been out of it for about the past two years and trying to get back in it now. Uh, Mike's kind of inspired me to maybe start learning some of the Scottish music again. So. There you go. <laughs> you can come over here and play with uh, play on uh, Saturday nights. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, that sounds like you had, um, uh, you know, a, a good foundation and creativity with a little bit of academic uh, and and life experience and 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 in the corporate world to go with it, right? So yeah, yeah. when I come back, I want to find out what made, what made you decide to follow your passion in the Smokies when we get back. All right. Howdy. This is. Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest David Bruin. So, David, um, you know, I was—I uh, worked a career uh, for for um, uh, coming right out of college, and I was in computers. Uh, and after about eight years of it, I got to feel like I was constrained by corporate existence, and I was wanting to pursue my other creative interests. And so, I left and just started pursuing some things. You know, I, uh, I understand in 1980, you left your successful career as a teacher and uh, as, a, and a, um, as, as a, social worker, a social worker, right? And, and, and moved to the Smokies. What, what inspired that? <clears throat> well, you know, when I was a little boy, um, my dad loved the mountains. And from, I think I was about five years old at the time, we would come to Fontana every year for uh, two weeks. And while I love the water and always have loved the water, I f just fell in love with the mountains and I didn't want to leave. And so we would come here every year. And as I got older, I came to appreciate mountain people and the mountain culture. And uh, I, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I would go around and interview some of the people that worked here. You know, there was a great fiddler named Hardy Crisp. It was at Fontana, and I would talk to him and find out all kinds of things. And I religiously listened to the Fontana Ramblers that were square dance group, and and uh, heard this young man, dark-haired guy, playing Chet Atkins-style guitar up there. And I will forget it. He was playing the Bells of St. Mary's, and he stayed in my mind forever. I was about 15 years old when I heard him. He must have been about 19, and. Uh, uh, later on, when I worked at the Mountain Heritage Center, and I'll tell that story when we get there, of how I eventually found this guy and ended up playing on a recording with him and an amazing fiddler named Gar Mosteller. Come to find out they used to play together over in Murphy. And, uh, and they played for the Fontana Ramblers, which was one of the top square dance groups in the country. And so, you know, just, it just I fell in love with the place. 
when I was a little boy, I used to cry when we'd go home because I didn't want to leave the mountains. So uh, I was not happy with the way education in America was going at the time and uh, found out that the folk school needed a resident blacksmith. So I called him up and said, you know, I'm starting out on my career. I came up here and took a class. Um, and then I studied, took another class with Francis Whitaker. So I've got a pretty good start. How about letting me do it? And my old, my first teacher was the former resident and he recommended me. So I moved up in 1980 to the folk school. I had some friends help me out and uh, came up there with nothing. <laughs> just, just thought I'd give it a shot and see what happens. And I've always been crazy that way. And, uh, you know, I actually lived on a porch for a while. I had no place to live and uh, but stuck it out. And I had a shop to work in. And um, first, one of the first people I met was Earl Lanning, who uh, Bob plotted recently was talking to you about earlier and shows you the way the universe works. I was in a, I was in a craft gallery talking to someone about maybe carrying my work. And uh, Earl was standing over there and he said, I heard you talking about blacksmithing. He said, you don't have to know a guy named David Bruin, do you? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a friend of his that I had done some work for out in the eastern part of the state said, well, David's coming up there because Earl was looking for somebody to do some 18th century style ironwork. So I did, I did a bunch of fireplace stuff for him and hardware. And he kept me going for a while. And he basically, Earl helped get my career started out here in Western North Carolina. Well, that's great. I, I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, rec- uh, g- 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 tell him that story when I talk to him. How you, he has such a, a positive impact on a lot of things in yeah. uh, <laughs> certain <laughs> people's lives. Uh, so you've had some good mentors in the mountain. Can you? Uh, uh, expand upon yeah it started with um, with the resident blacksmith Jim Croplin who had come down from New York City you know he was a pretty well-known artist in New York City and his wife used to dance with the Paul Taylor Dance Company in New York and they were homesteading over in Georgia and uh, and he uh, I took a class with him and he told me about a guy coming that was going to do a weekend workshop or a week-long workshop named Francis Whitaker and uh, said, you should come to that. And at that time, and a lot of us didn't really know a lot about blacksmithing. You know, we'd read about it. And, but Francis Whitaker actually studied in Germany in the 20s. He started out working for Francis uh, Samuel Yellen in Philadelphia and ended up with a very, very successful shop, first in Carmel, California, and then in Aspen, Colorado. So Jim talked him into coming and giving a workshop. So I took the first Francis Whitaker workshop and I guess it was 78 or 79, something like that. And I took the next one and then Francis came up and I, I had improved a lot by then. And Francis saw me working and he said, I've got a big project in Aspen and I need someone to help me with it. And it was 200 feet of fence for one of the cores, uh, not the cores, some big brewery, it wasn't Coors, but anyway, I forget the name of the brewery now, but anyway, guy had one of these Victorian mansions in Aspen and we did 200 feet of fencing 
So I got to actually do a job with him and I worked for him a half a day and then he would teach me for the other half a day. So I had better than an apprenticeship because he'd say, well, you're pretty good with that. You know how to do that, but you don't know how to do this. So let me show you how to do that. So then when I got back to the folk school, I had, uh, I had heard about all these really great blacksmiths that I had never met. So I, <laughs> I used my uh, position at the folk school to get them to come teach classes. And then I would sit in the back of the studio and listen to them and got to, got to be friends with them. People like Ivan Bailey, who was very well-known blacksmith out of Atlanta. Peter Ross, who at the time was the head blacksmith in Williamsburg. Uh, Ira DeCoven, who was uh, a top flight art blacksmith out of near Winston-Salem. And then Mark Bokenkamp, who was just an amazing blacksmith that could do anything. And so those people were all big influences on my life. And then I got to know B. Hensley real well over in Spruce Pine and watching him work. He was a master. So I got to I got to be around all these people. And then just a lot of mountain people too that were just inspirations to me. Just they weren't necessarily craftsmen, but uh, I was talking with a friend of mine that taught enameling at folk school and we were talking about Ben Teams, who was just this old guy that could log, he could farm, he could do anything. And just, you know, talking with Ben, I just learned so much about mountain people. And then getting to play with mountain musicians. And a guy named Carl Green had a gas station in Brasstown, really good fiddler. I go down and jam with Carl. Uh, the Clay's Corner was another place in Brasstown. You might have heard of the Possum Drop, which is where yeah. that took place. And uh, I would go out and jam. They'd have a Friday night jam. So I would sit down there and jam with those guys. Uh, so it was just a lot of influences on my life that even though <clears throat> I grew up in the coast, my heart's in the mountains. I mean, I'm, I'm going to end up here. This is where, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get my ashes scattered around here somewhere. So, uh, all these mentors and these great people that you've worked with, what would you say are the core values you've got for your, your craft from them? What are the core values? Um, really just trying to do the best you can do, uh, when you do it. And, uh, and I always, my old mentor always told me, you know, that uh, just don't ever shortchange somebody. Um, you know, when you when you charge a price, stick with it. And if uh, and I think one of the best advice he ever gave me was make sure you put a good price on it, and then if it comes in cheaper, come down with it. But don't. But but if it's your if you mess up and it takes longer than you thought, that's on you. And so that's what I've always done. You know, I give a price. I stick to it. Uh, I've got had some very good clients over the years and uh, got to do the kind of work that I really enjoy doing, uh, uh, large architectural kind of commissions. And, uh, and I, I've been lucky in having, <clears throat> I had a really good apprentice before and uh, he's got a very successful business now doing home furnishings. And I just, and one of the greatest blessings in my life was running into a young man named Jason Pinozo, who's got a shop, had a shop in Dillsboro. And I ended up with this job that was way too big for me. And uh, so Jason's wife had put an ad on Facebook 
And so I contacted him. Jason showed up in my life and we've been working together for the past three years and he's learning blacksmithing from me. And I'm just learning so much about fabrication, installation, uh, how not to get upset over having a big job that seems like it's more than you can handle. He just says, don't worry, Dave, we got it. I love working. I love, you know, figuring things out. And he has like some of the big gates we've done, um, you know, uh, like for the ACD. So what is learning? That? Um, so what are the core values is learning how to um, learning how to uh, to keep lear- learning how to keep learning no matter what yeah, you exactly doing, right? and learning how to pass it on. It was passed on to me. Yeah, and it's my duty to pass it on. I mean, just about everybody out here that uh, these mountain guys that are carvers, that are musicians. They learned it from somebody else. <clears throat> well, I'm I'm really glad that they. I love that uh, the story you told about them telling you to price it good. You know, when I I started in business, you know, I, I read a story about an immigrant. I forget what the business was, but they he became successful. And they asked him what was the secret to his business, and he said, "I just price it three times what it costs." <laughs> 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 and that was the that was the secret. So that's what I that's what I started doing. I, yeah, and, and I started being able to do some business. When we come back, we'll find more about uh, what you 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 know more about the institutions and things that you've been involved with, and they're pretty interesting, uh, like uh, Foxfire and Breasttown schools and the Mountain Heritage Center. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. And my guest, David Bruin, who's a master blacksmith and fine craftsman. So, um, David, uh, you know, I mentioned the schools, uh, I think the Foxtown and the Foxfire and Brasstown schools and, you know, that you've been involved with. Can you uh, let our audience know what they are and why they're so famous? Yeah, I came to the Campbell Folk School, which was founded back in the 20s uh, on the model of a Danish folk school. And it was originally designed to uh, basically provide a good education for the mountain kids that lived around there. And like I said, it was the Danish model, and that's where the folk dancing came from, because that was part of their phys ed program. Uh, A lot of Baptists around there, so they weren't supposed to dance. So it was, you know... Uh, it was actually PE. They were doing these Danish folks, folk dances. And you'd go around and interview people that had been there. And it was just really a hoot hearing them talk about when they were young, uh, you know, this guy around there said, well, they, hell, I remember doing that toe tour in there, which is a Danish <laughs> folk dance. And uh, so that was how, uh, that was how it got started. And then eventually uh, the wood carving was the big thing at the folk school. And uh, so they, uh, they had some amazing wood carvers. And they, as people, different directors came in, they had different slats. And in order to make money, they started bringing students in to take classes. And they had a blacksmith there, a guy named Oscar Cantrell, who was just an amazing mountain man. And uh, I, I loved, Oscar was another influence on me. I loved him dearly. And uh, so anyway, uh, Jim Croakland came down from New York as a homesteader 
And he kind of got under Oscar's wing to teach him blacksmithing so he could learn for his homestead. That was all he had, 60 some acres. And he and his wife lived in a yurt. She was a Buddhist monk. And, uh, and he, he ran the homestead. And when Oscar had a, a severe heart attack, they needed a resident smith. And so Jim took over the job until I came there. So I guess I was the third resident smith at the uh, folk school when I came there in 1980. And then we started with then having Francis there. We had a world-class blacksmith coming in teaching. So I think the blacksmithing program kind of kick-started some of the other craft programs to where all their programs over there now are just major league and their blacksmithing is second to none. They've got an amazing studio over there at the folk school now. So it's somebody wants to learn a craft, uh, I suggest talk to the folk school. They, they've got them all and it's a great place to learn and a wonderful music program over there. Still have a great dancing program. Uh, I was talking to Mike about some of the Scottish dancing, English dancing that they have over there. So it's pretty, pretty broad spectrum at the school over there. That's the, that's, fire, is that I, the... uh, there was a guy that introduced me to Elliot Wigginton. You know, Foxfire was a, started off as an English project, I guess back in the 70s. And uh, people were interested in getting back to the land and Foxfire was able to capitalize on that. It wasn't how they started. They were just looking for things to get the local kids excited about writing about. And uh, so they started publishing a little book and, you know, of course it ended up being Doubleday, one of their biggest sellers and uh, for a while there and uh, so <clears throat> they were interested in, in getting a blacksmithing program going over there in the summers so I went over there and had two or three kids and uh, we used to make like things they had a gift shop nearby and we'd make things to sell in there and and we actually ended up presenting a, a set of skewers that the boys had made in there and a holder to Joan Mondale who was really interested in crafts and her husband, I think was doing some, she was helping him do some campaigning and she wrote us a note saying that they couldn't wait to inaugurate the skewers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I worked there for a few years and then I did a, actually did in Foxfire seven <clears throat> interviewed an old wagon maker, Judd Nelson. And I stayed down with him and documented actually building a farm wagon from pieces of wood that he would go out into his wood pile and turn the hubs of the wagon with and made everything. You know, we shook the tires and everything on it. And that was about a year I would stay with Judd and he was a character. Where is, um, where is, where is Foxfire located? It's in Raymond County, Georgia, near Clayton. Uh-huh. And then Brasstown? Is that, is that, is that... Uh, Brasstown's about seven miles from Murphy. In mm -hmm. just in the extreme southwestern part of the state. And was Brasstown, what you said, mentioned Campbell School. Was Brasstown originally Campbell School? Well, Brasstown was a little, uh, just a little village over there. It was a, evidently it was a corruption of a Cherokee word. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't have anything to do with brass or anything. It uh, that was just a corruption of a word. And uh, Olive Dame Campbell found it. She and her husband were traveling, looking for a place to set up a folk school. And uh, they came in there and actually Calvin Coolidge had uh, saved it from being uh, flooded out there. Olive Dame uh, 
and Marguerite Beedstrup. Marguerite Beedstrup, she was actually a Coolidge before she married the Dane Georg Beedstrup. And uh, it was going to be flooded. And so they went to Calvin Coolidge and got him to stop the dam. And so uh, Brasstown was not flooded and Brasstown is a, is a thriving community today. And it's really a special place. So it's a good place for people who might be interested to come to the mountains to go visit, right? Oh yeah, you've got every you've got the full money over there. You've just got everything you could ever want. And when I was there, the local people still came over and played music and had a lot to do with it. And I'm assuming uh, it probably still is uh, the same kind of that same ethos over there. You know, I, I when I've traveled around a little bit in the mountains in the, in recent years, it still is still the same way. I was just in you know up in Maggie, and I traveled up to the flea market, and they you know it was not. It's not a big elaborate flea market. It's a real, you know, sort of country flea market. But they set up a little gazebo in the middle and locals came up, you know, and were just playing bluegrass music, you know, it's, uh, yeah. and, and welcoming people to the, to the village. And I, and I found that in other towns just like that. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of special. You know, it makes you feel, you know, get that local community feel, you know, in, in participating in local cultures. You know, one of the seven emotional factors that makes experiences memorable. Um, what did you, what did you find most gratifying about working at those schools? Just the connection with the people. That was the big, well, of course my, you know, learning my craft, I, uh, I wouldn't be where I was if it hadn't been for the people that I met at the folk school. And then just, just the people rather. I just loved a lot of them were gone now. And I was real privileged to have gotten to meet so many of them and talk to them and welcome into their homes. And uh, in fact, I had, you know, one of the, one of the Scroggs people over there that's uh, one of the old families. And he just told me, he said, you know, he said, you're just one of us. And that was one of the greatest compliments I think I ever got from anybody over there. I was just, you know, I was, I was one of them. <laughs> so you, um, I read that you later worked at the WC, Western Carolina University Mountain Heritage Center, sort of during the glory days. Can you share a little bit about your work coordinating? Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I think I went there in 1987. It was, was getting, I had a a brand new daughter and uh, my daughter Hazel and she, uh, I just needed a regular income basically at the time, you know, being a craftsman and especially the economy at the time was starting to start to tank. It was that eighties recession tail end of that. And a job became available over there as a museum educator, uh, which uh, that's kind of a catch all phrase. And so I had a lot of skills that, uh, that I could do it. They needed somebody to help with exhibits. They needed somebody to go out and interview people. Of course they needed somebody to go, uh, do programs, and so uh, so I did all of that while I was there, and uh, stayed there till early '90s, and then went back into blacksmithing for a while, and then that was the next great recession. <laughs> so so uh, my old job came available, and I went back there again for a few years, and uh, that was when I actually met Bob Plot, and uh, I tell people. You should not probably read the book about the plot hand because you may do like I did and go buy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, 
you coordinated talent for the Mountain Heritage Day. Like what about twenty five to thirty thousand people attended? Yeah, we did that? the uh, we did the uh, we only took care of the traditional. They had two stages there. They had a traditional stage and a more of a modern stage, and we did we did all the traditional musicians and all the traditional crafts. Like we had a lot of Cherokee crafts people there and uh, just traditional mountain crafts. So we took care of the traditional side of it. And uh, and then there was another group did the, you know, the big modern stage over there. And we kind of said, oh, that's a modern music. You know? Who were some of the famous acts you got to come there? One of the famous well, artists. Bob was talking about Darren Nicholson, you know, they, and, uh, that was on, they were on the big stage and uh, we, we would have like some of the old traditional musicians and uh, mm -hmm. uh, that was where I got to play with uh, Gar Mosteller and Doyle Barker and, uh, and Doyle was the guitarist that I had idolized when I was at, when I would go to Fontana and got to meet him and got to know him really well and Gar Mosteller, uh, we had a folklorist at the Mountain Heritage Center that ran into Gar and I went out there with him and found out he was from Andrews. And I said, you know, by any chance, you know a guy named Doyle Barker, do you? He said, oh yeah, so <laughs> we used to play music all the time together. So we got them together and recorded an album with them called Appalachian Swing. And we do things like Sweet Georgia Brown, you know. And, oh, wow. You know, just uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. Is that is that uh, album still out there? Uh, you can still get it at uh, through the Mountain Heritage Center. Wow. Yeah. Then they uh, played rhythm guitar on it. We had a really good bass player and a, and a drummer. Wow. And, uh, so we caught some flack for playing at a dance at the folk school, but the dancers end up cheering us, giving us a standing ovation out there as after we got through playing uh, Alabama Jubilee. And, uh, and there was a, so that was, uh, it was people like that that we would get. And we had like, uh, we used to have a couple of radio hosts from uh, WLOS and, um, that well, would come over and yeah. not WLOS, uh, the, two, the Asheville station well, and the Spindale station. Oh, it was always a, I, you know, I always knew it was a big event because I heard about it. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it when we come back uh, from the break. All right. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest, David Bruin. So, David, uh, you know, you did some great work with the WCU, WCU Heritage Center, and it really was a, a force in this community for a long time. But uh, I want to I I focus in a little bit on the, your, your own work. You know, the term metal work really does not do your work justice, as it is really, uh, truly, I think, a functional three-dimensional art. Uh, tell us about some of your favorite pieces and some of the famous folks that you designed custom ironwork for. Well, um, the, uh, I got into doing, I got into working with this contractor that built really high-end homes. And, uh, and the architect that designed them had been a student at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts in Paris. He did his senior year in architecture school in Paris. 
So he loves Ironmark. In fact, we're doing 75 feet of railing for his personal home right now. And I uh, just got through talking with him this morning and we're going to be doing some kind of special stuff. I think this will be his last home that he builds for himself. And he wants kind of some of his own special touches in there. So I'll be doing that. And, and um, well, you know, I guess everybody talks about uh, the basis for ACDC, which is one of the homes in Toxaway. And we, this is where Jason really came into his own. I met Jason because I was doing a job that was just too big for me, same contractor. And uh, so I ran into Jason and he helped me get through that job. And then this job came up for uh, about two 25 foot gates, two 12, 12 and a half foot gates, each one weighed about a thousand pounds. And uh, so uh, we did them for the home plus about 60 some feet of wrought iron fencing for it too. And uh, then uh, the owner wanted a, uh, had a, a metal reveal on his fireplace. And I think he, I think it was from London and he wanted something kind of sort of like post-industrial <laughs> type look to it. So we had this huge piece of plate that we had to, uh, we had to texture and uh, we tried everything. And this is how Jason, my apprentice figures out things. He's also a heavy equipment operator and he had a great big track hoe in there. So we took and forged a ball for the bucket of the track hoe, like a hammerhead. And Jason would sit out there and bang the head of the uh, bucket of the track hoe down there with that hammerhead on there. And his, his dad and I would, it would, would station it. So when we got through, it had all these huge indentations on it. And so we fixed up the fireplace with that. And then I made some fireplace tools and some fire screens for him and some fire tools and stuff like that. So, uh, and irons, things like that. So, uh, and right now we're, like I said, we're doing the 75 feet for the architect's house and there'll be a lot more. We've got another house we're gonna be doing a big entry gate for about, and that's gonna be, Kind of very sculptural is what they're wanting for that one. Mm -hmm. and so this is the kind of work I'm doing now, and uh, well, I'm really enjoying it. That's fabulous. I mean, it sounds like you did uh, you did metal artwork for one of the premier heavy metal bands of all time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, think, I don't, I don't think the irony was lost on him either. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, to finish up, you uh, you're at a time when most pay, most folks have uh, retired. But you remain a force in the industry, and you know, and it sounds you're excited about the future. What plans do you have? Well, I just want to keep doing more and more of this, and um, and I can say having 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 Jason with me now I can do anything that I really that I really want to do. I can design it, and if it's too much for me, I can show him how to you know how to forge it. And so it's 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 been a great thing, and I'm just looking forward to a to a whole lot more. And, I learned this attitude from Earl Lanning in that he's 88 and he's still building guns right now and did a huge sculpture in downtown Waynesville uh, three years ago. And I saw him crawling around on his hands and knees doing the, uh, it's, it's a seven foot tall sculpture that was cast in bronze of a frontiersman. 
and Earl was on. Oh, I love that sculpture, man. I see that. That's oh, yeah, you know that one. Well, Earl oh, I love one. that one, yeah. And I'd go by and visit him. He'd down yeah. on his hands and knees, you know, working on the clay and stuff like that. And just, uh, you know, he never lost his passion. Downtown Waynesville's got a beautiful sculpture collection like that. So um, how do people uh, reach out to you if they want to talk about metalwork? Well, uh, I guess the... Uh, the best way to do it is uh, Jason's business is uh, cutting edge mobile welding in uh, in Dillsboro. Uh, I work we work out of his shop over there because he's got a nice, really big shop, and uh, I, I can give you the particulars of how to get up with him. Does he have a website? Uh, not yet. We're we're working on his wife. His wife does all that stuff for us. His wife's uh, she's she's a real uh, Jason doesn't care anything about that. He just wants to work. <laughs> and um, so, but his wife Tavish is a whiz with computer stuff and she's going to do a web page for us eventually. But uh, they do have a Facebook page that you can contact there. And I'm on Facebook, just David Bruin. And you can reach me through that and uh, we can get together that way if you want to do something that way. So so it, it, we're still, you know, in the digital age, we're pretty easy to get up with. Yeah. And then you used to have, you had something called Sugar Plum or something like that? Well, I, originally it was Plum Orchard Forge. Oh, that's it. Plum, Plum Orchard Forge, yeah. Yeah, because we, uh, my wife and I live on, uh, actually have Plum Orchard, a wild Plum Orchard oh, wow. out there. And uh, so that's, uh, that's how it got its name. I used to have my shop there. And then I thought I was just going to retire, like I said. So I sold everything to my first apprentice and ended up buying half of it back from him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a wonderful in, uh, insight into the, the, the blacksmithing and, and how it's such a, a, a live and vibrant uh, profession uh, this day. Uh, now I'm going to give, do some shout-outs for our sponsors. Um, imagine... What's that? No, no, thank you. So imagine a place evocative of motor ports of the past, yet modern and vibrant, with a chic Appalachian feel, a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Metal Ark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Go to MetalArkMotel.com to find out more. We also want to tell you about the Metal Ark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center. It's just started. It has a Facebook page at Facebook.com slash MSMHC. And it's, it's about perpetuating and promoting Smoky Mountain heritage, history, and culture through programs, seminars, concerts, festivals, tours, and corporate events. Sponsored by Smokies Adventure. Smokies is plural. Adventure is singular. The emphasis, emphasis on Smokies Adventure is outdoor recreation along with providing information on lodging, family entertainment, events, conventions, honeymoons, and more. The goal of this site is to become the leading information portal of the Smoky Mountains. You can find more about this podcast at gatewaytothesmokies.fun. Uh, where you can reach out to us to sign up for a newsletter or contact us to find information about our guests and content information for them. 
we're part of the talkradio.nyc network. Talkradio.nyc is a live podcasting station whose mission is to empower, inspire, uplift, and educate a worldwide audience. I recommend that you stay tuned for uh, the following podcast, which is about New York City. So you can go from rural national parks to uh, the, the premier urban space in, in America to find out more, more about what kind of adventures you can have. Um, I've really enjoyed this show. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week's show, which will be another uh, craftsperson uh, and, and a historian and, 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 and cultural uh, participant in the mountains of North Carolina. We're always on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You can also find us on our Facebook streaming live, facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.